Good morning. Morning. What a beautiful morning, right? You enjoying summer so far? It's coming to close so quickly, isn't it? We're very blessed, though, here. Um, we're not in fires or tornadoes or floods. So we're very blessed. Um, so thankful. Um, so this is a great day to uh, come and worship the Lord and to come into his house. So we're just so thankful that you all are here. I guess we need to open up with a word of prayer. So if you guys want to bow your heads one more time, we'll have a word of prayer. Oh, Heavenly Father, um, I just thank you, Lord, uh, for what you've done for us. Such a great gift that you've given um, to guide us, to direct us, to mentor us through the outworking or the working through your Holy Spirit. And that you've called each and one of us to a a place of uh, position in that wall. We're going to talk about walls and gates, Lord. And we're all one of those that can be involved in upbuilding a wall or a gate somewhere. Um, There's people all around us, Lord, that need help. I need someone to know that they can trust in and be confident in. The world is growing dark, but um, we are arising and we're shining because, Jesus, you shine in us. We just ask that this, Holy, this message will speak to those that are viewing uh, via um, streaming online or here uh, presently. We just ask that each one, Lord, will be encouraged and strengthened as they leave, that they shall share the name of Jesus, and that it will be on their lips, and no matter what men may do, Lord, that they will speak the name of Jesus. We thank you, Lord. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Oh, man. Oh, scripture reading for today is out of Isaiah 61, if you want to open your Bibles there. Isaiah 61, verses 1 through 3. I'm going to read a little different translation. Um, It's called the Amplified. I do like it because sometimes I struggle. I don't know about you, but King James Version, I can kind of understand it, but there's some times when I get a little stuck, and so I need something that kind of opens up my mind to see it more clearly. And this is out of the Amplified. And it's in Isaiah 61, verses 1 through 3. And it says there, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed and qualified me to preach the gospel of good tidings to the meek, the poor, and afflicted. How many of you are poor and afflicted? How many of you are going through trials? He has sent me to bind up and heal the brokenhearted. How many of you are brokenhearted? How many of you have been through some type of struggle in your life, a battle? To proclaim liberty to the, get this, physical and spiritual captives. Are you physically captive by something? Uh, Spiritually captive by something? And the opening of the prison and of the eyes to those who are bound. To proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, the year of his favor. Do you believe that the year of the Lord is coming soon, Jesus' second return? Are you ready for that day? Are you excited to see him come? And the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn. A lot of us have been re- losing a lot of people recently, especially with this whole pandemic and other things that are going around the world with floods and things. So God is there to comfort all that mourn. And verse 3 says, this is the powerful one, to grant consolation and joy to those who mourn in Zion, to give them an ornament, a garland or diadem of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, the garment or expressive of praise instead of a heavy, burdened and failing spirit. You have a heavy burden, failing spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, lofty, strong, and magnificent, distinguished for uprightness. I think that's powerful. Distinguished for uprightness, justice, and right standing with God, the planting of the Lord that he may be glorified. That's a really powerful thought, you know, this idea of trees. So if you look behind me, you can see this um, kind of, uh, I guess, feel with some trees around it. Um, God gave me this idea of a gated uh, community, the idea of a gated community. I was walking and talking with the Lord uh, a few weeks ago, and my wife brought up something that really connected. I was saying, Lord, I know I've got to speak August 7th. What am I going to speak on? 
And so he put this mind in my, this idea in my head about a gated community. And so we're going to un- unpack what this gated community looks like and what part do we play in that gated community. So I, I looked up this idea, what is the purpose of a gated community? What is the purpose? And I read this. This gentleman wrote this article. Uh, his name is Chris McGooey, if I can say it, McGooey. Anyways, he wrote this. More and more people want to reside in a gated community. In the 1970s, there were approximately 2,000 gated communities nationwide. In the early 2000s, there were over 50,000 gated properties. Wow. With more being built every year. That equates to about 7 million households, or 6% of the national total, yeah, national total behind walls or fences. Do you like walls and fences? About 4 million of the total is in communities where access is controlled by gates, entry code, key cards, or security guards. And I like this. You know, you think about gates and walls. What comes to mind when you think about a gate or a wall? Prisoners? Yes, I think about that, but I also think about protection. You think about protection, you think about security. Um, that's kind of what we think about, or your anxieties are lifted, you feel, you trust things. You trust that everything's taken care of if you've got a wall or a gate. I used to work, I used to go to school down in uh, West Palm Beach in a, a college, and I remember there was a plaza right behind our college, and they always had that little, it was a metal iron gate, and there was these big cement walls, and I remember we always tried to climb those walls and Anyways, we did crazy stuff, but just the fact that um, the gates were meant to protect people from intruding and breaking in. Also, um, this idea of gates uh, in the affluential uh, residential neighborhoods means they have exclusivity. It means they're like a club, like nobody else is invited in. We're a club. Uh, and therefore, they also, another thing that it did is gates, they increased property value exponentially. So I thought that was kind of interesting about a gated community, really powerful um, about these gated communities and what they represent. But do you know the first gated community? Is anybody familiar where the first gated community was at? This is interesting. Turn to Genesis 3. We're going to see something happen here. A gated community. Hmm. What is the purpose of a gated community? Uh, We're going to look in uh, Genesis 3, verses 6 through 8. Genesis 3, verses 6 through 8. We're going to pick this story up after we know that the serpent beguiles or tricks Eve. She takes the fruit. Of course, she gives it to her husband. And that was a bad mistake. That wasn't a very good choice, was it? Can you imagine that? That one little choice, that little fruit is what caused all this sin in this world. Isn't that crazy? Imagine that. One little piece of fruit made that big ripple effect in this world today. Now we've got crime. And that's another thing that protects from is crime, gated communities. But all the stuff that we see transpiring, I mean, look in the world today. It's just a mess. Can you agree with that? A total mess. Um, all because one person took fruit. That's just a, that's so impactful to me. So we're going to look in verses 6 through 8. It says there, and this is out of the King James Version, And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, other things that are pleasant to your eyes sometimes, maybe you shouldn't partake of, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat, and gave also unto her husband and with her, and he did eat. And I want to pick up in 7 and 8. This is really powerful. And the eyes of them both were open, and they knew that they were naked. How many of you have dealt with something you did in the past, and you feel like you're ashamed, you have this guilt hanging over you? You know, this idea of this nakedness. Um, the enemy comes in, he's very cunning and sharp. He, first of all, he seduces you to do the thing. And he, makes, he pushes you out there and he makes fun of you and mocks you and makes you feel like dirt and trash. 
So here it is, you know, here they were like, oh man, so what do they do? And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. Do you think that covered them well enough? Do you think that was good enough to cover them? And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves. Hmm, could you imagine that? Your creator, you don't want to talk to him, you want to stay away from him. Have you ever felt like that before? You've done something so horrific. How could God really want to be around me, right? I don't, I don't, I can't be in his presence. Well, they hide themselves from the presence of the Lord in the trees of the garden. So we see this um, kind of dynamic unfolding after sin enters the world. We see that um, Adam and Eve want to hide themselves from the shame and the guilt. But God does something. Do you, can you agree that God is a merciful and loving God? He does something awesome. Um, here we are in Genesis 9, verses, yeah, Genesis 3, verses 9 through 13. And I believe this is kind of God trying to get the facts of the story. So verse 9 says, And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where are you? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And here's God in response. Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree whereof I command you that you should not eat? And the man said to the woman, said, the woman whom you gave me to be with me, she gave me of the tree and I did eat. So what happened there? What do we see go on there? What did Adam do? Oh, he's blaming. Who is he blaming first? He blamed God first, didn't he? Is this woman that you gave me, um, she, she made me eat. Uh, it, it's her fault. Have you ever done that? You ever <laughs> blame somebody else? Oh man, so easy to do. Verse 13 says, And the Lord God said unto the woman, What is this that you have done? And the woman said, The serpent tricked me, and I did eat. So here's another individual saying that's the serpent's fault. Very interesting. But this is the beauty of what God does. He does something for us. In verse 14, in Genesis 3, And the Lord God said unto the serpent, Because you have done this, who's the first person or the first individual that got punished first for disobedience? Was it Adam? Was it Eve? was the serpent, right? He went right to the serpent first. And the Lord God said unto the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed above all cattle, above every beast of the field. Upon thy belly shalt thou go, and thus shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. And I will put enmity between the woman and between your seed and her seed. It shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise her heel, or his heel. So enmity between, I kind of caught my attention when I thought about that. Enmity between. The word between could really mean some type of separation. So it could almost mean a gate or a fence. It could be a fence between good and evil, right? We see that going in the world, this great controversy between good and evil. So there's almost like a fence or a threshold that really shouldn't be or cannot be crossed. Like a fence between. So I think that's kind of important to uh, note that, that God puts a fence between us and, and evil. And then we're going to pick it up in Genesis 3, verses 21 through 24. And I really love this because I believe that this gate that God is going to set up is God's grace. Can you all be thankful for God's grace? Boy, he puts up a gate and, and just so thankful. So verse 21, this is so beautiful. After Adam and Eve put these little fig leaves on themselves, what does God do in verse 21? It says, Unto Adam also and to his wife did the Lord God make coats of skins and clothe them. Would you want to make your own fig leaf uh, apron or do you want God's clothing? <laughs> So he closed them, right? In verse 22, God has a counsel. And God, the Lord God said, Behold, a man has become as one of us, 
to know good and evil. And now, lest he put forth his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and do what? Ooh, man. So if he ate from that tree, guess what that would do? That would perpetuate sin forever, wouldn't it? That would be scary, don't you think? That could that would be very detrimental. So verse 23, he's counseling. Here in 23, he talks, Therefore the Lord God sent him forth from the Garden of Eden to till the ground from whence he was taken. So what happens in verse 24? So he drove out the man and placed, and he placed at the east of the Garden of Eden cherubims and a flaming sword which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. So do we see happening here? God sets up a gate or a fence so that Adam and Eve can no longer turn to that tree to eat that tree of good, uh, uh, yeah, eternal life or that tree that gives them eternal life. So they have to be cast out. Or they have, there has to be a protection, in a sense, around that tree. Because if they got to that tree, again, sin would be permeated forever. So what is the significance of a gated community? And we're talking about this idea, the first um, gate or fence that was put up back then in the Garden of Eden. And I know Pastor Loma King, he talked about this, I think about three weeks ago, about this man uh, dealing with the idea of Nehemiah. So if you want to turn to Nehemiah, and what was uh, Nehemiah's concern? In the book of Nehemiah, it's right before Job. And I was, it's a little tucked in there. It's before Esther, it's after Ezra. But we're in uh, Nehemiah, and we're going to look in uh, chapter 1. So what was Nehemiah's concern? We're asking about the significance of a gated community. Um, we kind of talked a little bit about what gated communities. We think about prison. Uh, we think about protection. We think about how it's for an affluential community to kind of boast or brag, I guess, that they're a little club. Um, this gated community. So we're going to see Nehemiah's concern for why he wants a gated community or to fix something. So look in Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 3 and 4. And we'll see what happens here as um, Nehemiah has relayed the message that something happened in Jerusalem. Everything's been built, the homes and everything, but something else is lacking. What is that that's lacking? Verse 3 says, And they said unto me, The remnant that are left of the captivity there in the province are in great affliction and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem also is broken down, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. And it came to pass when I heard these words that I sat down, and what did he do? Why did he weep? And mourned certain days and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Um, but something amazing happens in chapter 2 of Nehemiah. Um, you know, sometimes you ever felt you're weakest, you just don't, you feel discouraged, you feel like you can't. Maybe um, I've been starting a, a YouTube channel recently, and uh, sometimes you just see the enemy, he really pushes on you to just to make you discouraged to where you don't even want to attempt to do something. You feel like, ah, it's too big for me, I can't do it, I can't handle it. Choose somebody else, please, just pass me by. I know we talked about 3ABN, Joe mentioned about 3ABN and how Danny stood up and he didn't let God pass him by, he stood up and did it. I think that, that takes a lot of faith and a lot of guts. Say, when everybody else is saying, um, that ain't going to work, you go, yeah, well, we'll see, God will bless it's very difficult. So Nehemiah is kind of that situation. In Nehemiah chapter 2, we're going to start in verse, or chap, yeah, verse 2, in chapter 2. So the king notices something different, uh, different with Nehemiah. He's sad, of course, we just saw in verse 4. It says, Wherefore the king said unto me, Why is thy countenance sad, seeing thou art not sick? This is nothing else but sorrow of heart. Then I was sore afraid. He's like, well, I don't know if I should tell the king what's in my heart. 
I better be quiet and not say a thing. And so verse 3 said, And said unto the king, Let the king live forever. Why should not my countenance be sad when the city, the place of my father's sepulchers, what is it? It lies waste. And the gates thereof are consumed with fire. A king said unto me, For what dost thou, uh, yeah, for what dost thou make requests? So what did he do? He just said, I've got this under control. I'm good. Where did he turn to? Ah, he prayed. So I prayed to the God of heaven, and I said unto the king, so he's pretty nervous, I'm sure. I could lose my head for asking for this. And I said unto the king, if it please the king, and if thy servant have found favor in thy sight, that thou wouldest send me unto Judah, unto the city of my father's sepulchers, that I may build it. Do we have something in our life maybe we can build for the Lord? Maybe something that God is calling us to that we can build? And the king said unto me, the queen also sitting by him, for how long shall thy journey be? And will thou, when wilt thou return? So it pleased the king to send me. God was moving, right? And I set him a time. Very powerful. Verse 7 says, Moreover, I said unto the king, If it please the king, he gets a little more bold, If it please the king, let letters be given me to the governors beyond the river, that they may convey me over till I come unto Judah. And a letter unto Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the palace, which appertain or belong to the house, and for the wall of the city, and for the house that I shall enter in into. And the king granted me according to the good hand of my God upon me. So God was giving Nehemiah favor, saying, this is what I want you to do is restore the walls and gates of Jerusalem. And there's a reason why we're going to find a little bit later now we're going to pick it up in verse 9 and 10. You know, whenever you step out in faith, you're always going to have something happen. Um, a few weeks ago when I recorded it, did a video up in Michigan. Um, some kind people let me borrow their vehicle to go up there and uh, to see my dad because he almost didn't make it. But you put in my mind to do a video on the idea of delaying death and how many people fear death. So as I was going to travel back to the cemetery, not too far from where I live, because the Lord says, I want you to record in the cemetery. On my way up there, this gentleman escaped a mental hospital or a mental place, and he, um, he was cussing and yelling and waving his arms and doing stuff. And uh, he came and hit this mailbox, just smashed it with his, his side of his arm, smashed his mailbox. And he comes and he hits this truck that's in front of me, hits the taillight. And he looks at me, he stands right in the middle of the car, starts cussing and yelling, and he just comes, he just pushes his, his fist right into the hood. I'm just like, what just happened there? It's like... How can I even explain this to the people that gave me their vehicle? I mean, this sounds too, I mean, who would believe that? I mean, seriously, who would believe that? I, I was like, how is this? And I knew that the enemy was trying to stop me. So the enemy tries to stop us when God calls you to do something. He's going to try to stop you. He's going to try to discourage you. But what does uh, Nehemiah do? Let's see in verse 9. Uh, let's pick it up and see what happens here. Satan's going to step into the game. It says, Then I came to the governors beyond the river, and gave them the king's letters. Now the king had sent captains of the army and horsemen with me. But verse 10, when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the servant, the Ammonite, heard of it, it grieved them exceedingly that there was come a man to seek the welfare of the children of Israel. Welfare, isn't that an interesting term? Nehemiah had compassion for the people of Jerusalem. You know, it's interesting. He wanted to see Jerusalem prosper. But there was a reason why. Um, think about this. We're talking about gates and walls. What does it do? What does a gate and wall do? It keeps people out, right? 
but it also lets people in, um, certain people in. So those gates and walls are very important because it keeps out temptations. It keeps out things that try to seduce us or influence or lure us. So we're going to find out what happens uh, here in the rest of the story in Nehemiah. So Nehemiah, really what he does in the next few verses, he goes and investigates the situation. He he finds out what, what needs to be fixed and how much the damage is. So in verse 11, he says, So I came to Jerusalem, and there was, I was there three days. Interesting number, three days. And I rose in the night, and I and some few men with me, neither told I any man what my God had put in my heart to do at Jerusalem. So he kind of kept it a secret. Neither was there any beast with me, save the beast that I rode upon. And I went out by night by the gate of the valley, even before the dragon well, and to the dung port, and viewed the walls of Jerusalem, which were broken down, and the gates thereof were consumed with fire. Then I went on to the gate of the fountain and to the king's pool, but there was no place for the beast that was under me to pass. Then went I up in the night by the brook and viewed the wall and turned back and entered by the gate of the valley and so returned. And the rulers knew not whether I went nor what I did, neither had I as yet told it to the Jews." Um, nor to the priests, nor to the nobles, nor to the rulers, nor to the rest that did the work. So he kept things kind of secret because sometimes you can tell certain people your plans or your dreams, and they can be naysayers or doubters and get you discouraged. Years ago, I had come up with an idea to do something major, and it was probably would have worked, but somebody told me, no, it's too late, it won't work. And I never followed through with the dream. Um, I don't know where it would have went, but I didn't follow through because somebody told me. So you got to be very careful who you tell certain things to, and I learned that the hard way many times over and over. But um, being careful what you tell to. So I think that's interesting. So they didn't know what he was doing. So verse 17 says, Then I said unto them, Ye see the distress that we are in, how Jerusalem lieth waste, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. Come, and let us build up the wall of Jerusalem, that we be no more a reproach. Then I told them, out of, of the hand of my God, which was good upon me, as also the king's words that he had spoken unto me. And they said, we're not going to do it. Nah, forget it. This is a horrible idea. No. Let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for this good work. So they saw the potential that God was blessing Nehemiah. And they got excited. This is out of uh, Prophets and Kings. I really like this. It says, Nehemiah's whole soul was in the enterprise he had undertaken. His hope, his energy, his enthusiasm, that's a big word, uh, his determination were contagious, inspiring others with the same high courage and lofty purpose. I think it, there's a song that says it only takes a spark to get a fire going, right? Just that one person can make a major difference. Um, it's just amazing. Um, you look in the, the world we're in right now, communication the digital age with, um, you know, we're talking about Facebook and Twitter and Snapchat and all these things. I mean, look at these people even on YouTube. It's amazing. I mean, 29 people view your videos? That's insane. I mean, it's crazy to think that you can have that much influence around the world with just posting something in your living room. That's, that's pretty intense. That's amazing. Just like uh, I think uh, JD's wife, Shelly, she's doing a sermon in Africa from her own home. I mean, that's that's incredible to do the gospel in your own living room, wherever you're, whatever it is, in your room. And here you are preaching a sermon all the way in Africa in a little town in Benton. <laughs> That's amazing. So um, just praise the Lord, the spark that gets a fire going. 
I'm really uh, encouraged by Nehemiah's story. So it says here, each man became a Nehemiah in his turn and helped to make stronger the heart and hand of his neighbor. So they said, man, we can do this. Come on, let's take this. We can build this. We can make this happen. But guess what happens again in verse 19? Everybody's excited. The momentum's starting to pick up. But when Sambalot the Horonite and Tobiah the servant, the Ammonite, now there's a third person, and Geshem the Arabian heard it, they laughed us to scorn and despised us and said, what is this thing that you do? Will you rebel against the king? Kind of throw in there the politics aspect of it. Then answered I them, this is, uh, of course, Nehemiah, and said unto them, the God of heaven, he will prosper us. Therefore, we, his servants, will arise and build. But you have no portion, no right, nor memorial in Jerusalem. It's kind of like cursing somebody, don't you think? It's like you don't have an opportunity here. So they were kind of cursed. And let's see how quickly Nehemiah, with this encouragement, built um, these walls and gates. Turn to Nehemiah chapter 6, and we're going to look in verses 15 and verse 16. Um, Incredible when you have the right leadership in place and you have this encouraging, uh, inspiring leader, what can really happen? Um, verse 15 in uh, Nehemiah 6 says this, So the wall was finished in the 20th and 5th day of the month, Elul, in 50 and 2 days. Wow. 52 days. They finished the gates and the walls. Isn't that amazing? 52 days. That fast, when everybody put their hands to do something, to put up the walls and the gates. This is just how important this is. We'll see here in uh, chapter 13 in a minute. But 52 days to restore this. And verse 16 said, And it came to pass that when all our enemies heard thereof, guess what happens? <laughs> and all the heathen that were about us saw these things, they were much cast down in their own eyes, for they perceived that we did this work of ourselves. Oh, it says, They perceived that this work was wrought of our God. Wow. 52 days. Can you imagine that? What an amazing thing. I don't know how big and how long that wall was. I think of the wall of China. I mean, that thing, can you imagine how long it took to build that thing? The Great Wall of China? Hundreds and hundreds of years, but here it is, 52 days. That's amazing. When everybody puts their hand in the works, amazing things can happen. So what were the main reasons, one of the main reasons, to restore the walls and gates? Turn to uh, Nehemiah 13. Boy, this is great. And I you think about Nehemiah at the beginning of the story, he's kind of like, ah, I don't really want to approach the king with this, but this, this is just burning desire in my heart. He's kind of, you know, a little frail, feeble, not sure. But then we see a different side of Nehemiah in the end. Boy, he is pretty firm. He's standing up. Um, sometimes you got to do that. When I used to do prison ministry a while back, I had a gentleman that kind of got mouthy in my class. And uh, I'm not very good at dealing with conflict. I don't know how many of you are good at conflict, dealing <laughs> with conflict. I don't do very well with it. And God was putting in my head, said, you're going to have to deal with this. You've got to take care of this. You've got to nip it in the bud or it's going to, something bad could happen. I mean, I've got 40 guys in this room and they're all getting kind of edgy and angry. I'm going, so, okay. So I had to say something. I popped up and said something and I'm not sure all of it. I don't remember it, but just the fact that God worked through it, and this guy came and said, what did I say wrong? What did I do wrong? And he wanted to know it was wrong and his attitude was really bad. But just the fact that we became friends, and now he still asks about me every time. You know, he asks me in prison. Yes, where's Don? What's he doing? But um, just how God works. So, but there is an important reason in Nehemiah 13, and we'll look uh, verses 15 through 22. It says in there in verse 15, "In those days saw I in Judah some treading wine presses on the Sabbath. Uh oh, 
and bringing in sheaves, and they were also loading asses, as also wine, grapes, and figs, and all manner of burdens, which they brought into Jerusalem on the Sabbath day. And I testified against them in the day wherein they sold victuals or food. So he's like, what are you guys doing? You can't be doing this on the Sabbath day. This isn't right. There dwelt men of Tyre, also therein, which brought fish and all manner of ware, and sold on the Sabbath day unto the children of Judah and in Jerusalem. Then I contended with the nobles of Judah and said unto them, What evil thing is this that ye do and profane the Sabbath day? Did not your fathers thus, and did not our God bring all this evil upon us and upon this city? Yet you bring more wrath upon Israel by profaning the Sabbath. And it came to pass that when the gates of Jerusalem began to be dark before the Sabbath, I commanded the gates should be shut and charged that they should not be opened till after the Sabbath. And some of my servants set I at the gates that there should no burden be brought in on the Sabbath day. So the merchants and sellers of all kind of ware lodged without Jerusalem once or twice. So there's these enticing things to pull these um, Jews, the Jerusalem, into being tempted to buying wares on the Sabbath. And this is what Nehemiah does in response. Then I testified against them and said unto them, Why lodge you about the wall? If you do so again, I will lay hands on you. Wow, what a different Nehemiah, right? Wow. From that time forth came they no more on the Sabbath. Like, okay, he means business. We ain't come here anymore. We're not going to do this. And I commanded the Levites that they should cleanse themselves and that they should come and keep the gates to sanctify the Sabbath day. And here he prays to God, Remember me, O my God, concerning this also. You know, it's probably against his grain. I really need to say something here. Remember this and spare me according to the greatness of thy mercy. You know, sometimes we just got to get out of our shell. It's a little difficult when we got to step up and do something that we're out of our comfort zone. I mean, me being up here, you know, it's way out of my comfort zone, but God is good. So thank you, Lord Jesus. And I am so thankful um, to have a supportive wife. (laughs) When God gave me this, he gave me um, a picture in my head of something and I'm going to share something with you that the Lord gave me back in 2010. I don't know if some of you believe in visions or dreams. When the Lord was first trying to get my attention, he would give me dreams and visions. But now I don't receive them like I, I did. I don't give them very often. But he did something. And in that dream and vision, I saw something very interesting. And so she kind of helped me put this little um, panel, this little artwork back here together. So I'm really thankful for helping me. I, I'm so thankful for good support. It makes all the difference because you're like panicking. I, I have some skills, but she's just so thankful. She has a lot of skills to help with that, and it just turned out really well. But this vision I received in 2010, it's really powerful. It's just amazing. As he opened my vision to see, I saw this golden wheat field. I could just see this golden wheat field, and I could see all around the backside there were trees, tall green trees, we're talking about the trees of righteousness, right? In Isaiah 61, verse 3. These trees were hedging in this harvest, protecting it like, like a wall. And I just remember in the center of this golden field, I remember this white, misty figure. I remember seeing just like this. They took the hands and took, touched the top of the golden wheat, this harvest. He touched it and was just kind of moving. And what he did is he went like this next to me. He just put his hands out like this and like telling me the harvest is ready. Do you believe that the harvest is ready? We have a work to do, and that's kind of what this whole message is about. You know, this idea of a gated community. There's many people out there that need to hear this message. So turn to Matthew 9, 
We have a significant role to play, brothers and sisters. A significant role to play. Just like Nehemiah, we can be Nehemiah. Even though I know my knees smote and knock sometimes and I'm nervous. <laughs> I'm like, I don't know. I don't, oh, this is too large for me, Lord. But if, the, if God is in it, he can do it, right? We serve a powerful God. Matthew 9, verse 37 and verse 38. This is going to be <laughs> just a little cutting um, for myself. You know, when COVID hit, I don't know about you, but I kind of got into this like laxed kind of thing. I'm like, well, I don't need to go and share Jesus anymore because I can't go out anyways. And, you know, people don't want to hear it and they're afraid if I don't come near me, don't six feet thing, you know, that kind of stuff. And so it's like, eh, I don't really need to share the gospel. I guess I'll just be quiet and how can you be? I mean, if God has come and transformed your life and changed you, and you want to just keep that quiet, I mean, you, you, we, it's so important we get out there and we tell people, how many of you want to go home? <laughs> um, but you do it for the right reasons, because you want to see brothers and sisters in the kingdom, right? We want to see people. So verse 37 says this, Then saith he unto the disciples, of course this is Jesus speaking, The harvest truly is plenteous. Do you agree with that? Look around the world. I mean, things are happening so quickly. People got to say, man, there's something. What is going on? The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. That's a sad reality, isn't it? Laborers are few. How many of you want to be a laborer for Christ? Get out there and give that message. Verse 38 says, Pray ye therefore, the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. Jesus is like, I want to reap the harvest. I want to put my sickle and just reap. I just need my people to stand up. I need my people to stand up. And this is what I, Israel did something again. Oh man, thank you Lord for your patience. Um, <laughs> he's so patient with us. I was just like Israel here in Isaiah 58. If you turn to Isaiah 58, this is going to be really powerful. I just, I absolutely love Isaiah 58 because to me, and we're going to talk a little bit about this idea of um, a little later about the three angels' messages and how do we incorporate that? Um, we're talking about prophecy, of course. Great, awesome stuff. Love prophecy. That's what got me into this end-time movement, Seventh-day Adventism. But then I began to see a different picture, a more bigger picture, and that is that there are hurt, broken people all around us that really need to know that they can be healed. Um, wounds, struggles, all these types of things. And, I, and Israel did something. They began to kind of just self-focus. You ever done that? Kind of just self-focus and just kind of shut the rest of the world out? And kind of forget. So we're going to see this in Isaiah 58. And God's not too happy about that. Isaiah 58, verses 3 through 5. Here they are, they're complaining to God. <laughs> Wherefore have we fasted, say they, and thou seest not? Where have we afflicted our soul, and thou takest no knowledge? Behold, in the day of your fast, you find pleasure. Hmm. Interesting. How can you fast and be, have pleasure? And exact all your labor. So there's a lot of control and manipulation going on. Behold, you fast for strife and debate. Do you see that going on in our churches today and our people today? There's a lot of debate and strife inside the church. You shall not fast as you do this day to make your voice to be heard on high. Uh-oh. Is it such a fast that I have chosen a day for a man to afflict his soul? Is it to bow down his head as a bulrush and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Wilt thou call this a, fa this a fast and, a and an acceptable day to the Lord? And this is what God says. I really like verses 6 through 8. And I believe to me, this is the gospel. Um, this just really speaks to me. And I hope it speaks to you. Um, it says this in verse 6. Is not this the fast that I have chosen, to loose the bands of wickedness, 
How many people are really in darkness right now? Um, I get calls all the time in pastoral. People that are in darkness, uh, a young man that's wanting to cut himself, drug addiction, he's stealing. In darkness, um, I got people that want to have their babies aborted. Talk to me on the line, they want to abort their babies. Um, all this darkness that's around, so oppressive, drugs, you name it. People that are real deep into video gaming or people that are stealing. People don't realize that there's a hope, right? There's a hope out there. It says, to loose the bands of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, and to let the oppressed go free, and that you break every yoke. And the Amplify puts that, that you break every enslaving yoke. Are you enslaved to something, maybe? Um, maybe something that's hold, held you down for so long, you want that broken from you? God can lift that, and that's why we as brothers and sisters need to come alongside of those who are struggling with that. Verse 7 says, Is it not to deal thy bread to the hungry, and that thou bring the poor that are cast out to thy house? When thou seest the naked, that thou cover him, and that thou hide not thyself from thine own flesh. Verse 8, this is the most beautiful thing. Here we go. I love this. Then shall thy light break forth as the morning, and guess what happens? And thine health shall spring forth speedily. How many of you want that health, that revival, that fire, right? Boy, that's amazing. So if we do these things, revival happens. And it says, And thy righteousness shall go before thee. The glory of the Lord is risen upon thee. Shall be thy, sorry, shall be thy reward. I think that's really powerful. This is about revival. So when we put all these things into place, uh, loosen the bands of wickedness, undo the heavy burdens, let the oppressed go free, break every, well, enslaving yoke, give, hungry to the, you know, give food to the hungry, take in the poor, give people who don't have clothes, something to wear, all these things. And this creates revival in the church. This is powerful. And this is now what God calls us to do in verse 12. <laughs> and this is where Israel went wrong. He rebukes their selfishness. Verse 12 says, And they shall be of thee, that shall be of thee, shall build the old waste places. Thou shalt raise up the foundations of many generations, and thou shalt be called the repair of the, the repair, yeah, repair of the breach, the repair, restore of the paths to dwell in. That's really powerful. And so there's a little nugget here. I don't know. We always like to do this on our Zooms, but I've got little blue boxes all over in my Bible. And I've got one here from Prophets and Kings from this lady, Ellen White. And she wrote this beautiful little passage it says in um, page uh, Prophets and Kings 677 and 678, it says, The prophet here describes a people who, in a time of general departure from truth and righteousness, are seeking to restore the principles that are the foundation of the kingdom of God. Are you one of those people that want to restore the foundation of the kingdom of God? They are repairs of the breach that has been made in God's law. Here it is the wall that he has placed around his chosen ones for their protection. We're talking about walls and gates. God wants to put a wall of protection around us. And obedience to whose precepts of justice, truth, and purity is to be their perpetual safeguard. I've been, I love this other scripture. It's in Zechariah 2, verse 5. We're talking about this wall. Zechariah 2, verse 5. Just a small line. I, I really love this. It's um, right there towards the back. I can find it myself. We're looking for it. One of the minor prophets, uh, Zechariah um, 2. And he says something here, and I've shared this with people on a uh, prayer line because a lot of people just don't have um, a hope, so they lose it. It's after Haggai, Zechariah. And verse 5, uh, yeah, verse 5 says this. For I, saith the Lord, will be unto her, this is Jerusalem or his people, 
I will be unto her a wall of fire round about her. Do you believe that? You can put a wall of fire around you. Um, I think of Elisha, you know, and his uh, buddy there in Dothan. And they had this big army. About, I mean, can you imagine it? Two people and a whole army to wipe out two people. Isn't that kind of ridiculous? Think about that. Why would they need a whole army to wipe out two people? But they, were, they had served the true God, so they were in fear. They knew they had a powerful force behind them. So, of course, Elisha prays. And what does he say? Because his servant's so nervous. Man, we're outnumbered. We're done. And so the servant says, open the eyes of my servant that he may see. And what does uh, his servant see? He sees chariots of fire, chariots of fire surrounding this army. Like, well, okay, we got this. All right, the Lord's got it. We're good. We don't have to worry about this. So just how powerful God is. He can surround us. And of course, we're going to go back to our beginning scripture. Uh, We are trees, right, planted. Isaiah 61, verses 1 through 3. And I'm going to read this now from the King James Version because I like the um, one scripture in there. Verse 3. 61, 1 through 3, says that the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He hath sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all that mourn, to appoint unto them that mourn in Zion, to give unto them beauty for ashes, The oil of joy for mourning. I love this line right here. The garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. Do you have a spirit of heaviness? God can take that away and give you a garment of praise. He can do that. And guess what? God's going to call us. Trees of righteousness. Do you want to be a tree in God's hands? The planting of the Lord that he might be glorified. So it can be like those trees in my vision. We can be one of those trees hedging in the harvest. I think that's really powerful. And I would like to read this out of Christ's Object Lessons, page 214. This is going to really cut because this is talking about Israel, but it's also talking about us. So God's purpose towards his people and the glorious possibilities before them had been set forth in the beautiful words that they might be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he might be glorified. This is out of Isaiah 61, verse 3. The dying Jacob, under the spirit of inspiration, had said of his best-loved son, Joseph is a fruitful bough, even a fruitful bough by a well, whose branches run over the wall. And he said, The God of thy father shall help thee. The Almighty shall bless thee with blessings of heaven above, blessings of the deep that lieth under. This is out of Genesis 49, 22, and 25. So God had planted Israel as a goodly vine by the wells of life. He had made his vineyard in a very fruitful hill. He had fenced it. Did you hear that? He fenced it. He fenced it. Gathered out the stones thereof and planted it with the choicest vine. This is again the next paragraph. And he looked that it should bring forth grapes, and it brought forth wild grapes. This is Isaiah 5, verse 2. The people of Christ's day made a greater show of piety than did the Jews of earlier ages, but they were even more destitute of the sweet graces of the Spirit of God. The precious fruits of character that made the life of Joseph so fragrant and beautiful were not manifest in the Jewish nation. Did you hear that? They were not manifest. This is going to get really deep here. God and his son had been seeking fruit and found none. Ouch. Didn't find any fruit. Israel was a cumberer of the ground. Its very existence was a curse. For it filled a place in the vineyard that a fruitful tree might fill. It robbed the world of the blessings that God designed to give. Oh, man, did you hear that? 
The Israelites had misrepresented God among the nations. They were not merely useless, but a decided hindrance. To a great degree, their religion was misleading, and guess this, get this, and wrought ruin instead of salvation. Let that sink in. How many people want to see Jesus come? How many people want to see people saved to the Lord? So, what is the cry of our modern world today? Um, Look around us. I mean, you think about it. There's so many floods that happened in Germany and France, China, Mexico. We had some over in Turkey. We have, you know, the fires raging all in the West. People are, they're scared. They're frantic. They're in fear and panic. And then, of course, well, pandemic and all this. There's so much stuff hitting us all in different directions. It can feel overwhelming, can it? It's like, wow. Oh, wow. Ask the question, though. In other words, we're in great confusion, right? Have we been building up spiritual gates and walls by spreading his gospel to protect his people? Have we been doing that personally? It's important. Turn to Revelation 14, verses 6 through 8. We're going to see the three angels' message. I talked about this a little earlier. You know, yes, I I am so thankful for um, prophecy. Very important. You know, awesome. Daniel 9, that's powerful. But there's also another aspect of the gospel, which we talked about in Isaiah 58. And that is about loosing the bands of wickedness, undoing the heavy burdens. I'm helping these people. And this is part of the gospel as well. So we're going to read Revelation 14, verses 6 through 8. And it says in there, verse 6 says, And I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth and to every nation and kindred and tongue and people. So this everlasting gospel, it means, is it like temporary if it's everlasting? What does that mean? It means it's to continue forever and ever, right? It's enduring forever, this gospel. So we can't let it burn out. We can't, like Eli, let that candle burn out or flicker out. We need to be like Samuel's, that spark that gets the fire going. In verse 7, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to him, for there's going to be years and years and years and years in between. His judgment has come. I think that the hour of his judgment has come. Do you believe that his hour of judgment has come? Look at the world today. Man, you know, you think about it. Um, some of these people, false Christ arising. There's a gentleman in Australia who claims he's Jesus. And I can't remember his name now. A.J., I think it's Miller. Anyways, he says he is Jesus. And he writes on the board, I am Jesus. Deal with it. And he's uh, conditioning people to believe that they were actually at the cross when Jesus died. They think that one guy thinks he was one of the Roman soldiers that put a spike to them, Jesus' hands. Um, this is how how many false prophets are out there right now. And people really believe this in her condition. The young lady he's dating, he told her, well, in a sense, she believes she's Mary Magdalene. She thinks she was Mary. Her real name is Mary, but she's not the Mary Magdalene. But this is just the thing is there are false, you know, priests and Christ out there teaching false things. And this is showing us that Jesus is getting ready to come soon. So this is important. And in verse 8, says this, And there followed another angel saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen that great city because she made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. So there's coming a time period when that will happen. I think we're very close to that. I think we're very close where um, Babylon's going to completely fall. I think we're, we're inches from that. We're, we're just amazing. I'm so excited, but I'm also you kind of feel apprehensive and scared about what's about to happen. But at the same time, we're like at this threshold where something amazing is going to transpire and happen. It's just it's exciting, but it's scary. It's just like, oh, Lord, just help us get through this time. It's, it's going to be incredible, so we need to hang on. 
And now turn to Revelation 18, verse 4 and 5, to pick up this thought of Babylon. Um, Of course, we talk about this in verse 2, but verses 4 and 5, and I think, Joe, you mentioned this earlier uh, when you were talking about, uh, I think, tithe and offering. It says in verse 4, And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people. Come out of her, my people, that you be not partakers of her sins, that you receive not of her plagues. For her sins have reached unto heaven, and God hath remembered her iniquities. Um, many are desperately really losing hope, right? I mean, look what they're doing in the streets. Um, we're talking about this whole issue with race. We're talking about um, the whole different cultures and the different, how can I put this in a nice way, the different lifestyles that are out there. Um, all this confusion is just, it's agitating, it's stirring, it's just boiling and people are really losing hope. I mean, people are losing jobs. They're losing jobs. If you don't do this, you won't be able to work here. If you don't do that, you can't work here. I talked to a young man at Walmart. He said, man, this is incredible. You know, he said, doing the pickup and all that delivery stuff. He said, nobody wants to work. I'm getting paid $13 an hour. I mean, this is amazing. And nobody wants to work. I mean, it's, it's, it's mind-boggling. And you think about this. Uh, there's so much opportunity to work, but nobody wants to work. It's really crazy. <laughs> So coming out of Babylon, and no, so many people are really losing that hope, but we have to lead them to, to find that hope, which is in Jesus. We have that, that beauty, that, that gift, that message to turn them to that. Turn to 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 10. I talked to a lady a while back, and she told me something that was happening in her church. I'm not going to go into detail, but just that sometimes leadership, we, and this is kind of where it's going later on, we're viewing things. I know a lot of us are kind of like, Ah, watching all these different things, trying to figure out what's happening with all this pandemic and everything, which is important, don't get me wrong. But I think that if we watch too much of it, it can just drive us nuts and get us to where we panic and we don't think rationally. Um, We had a a certain leader of a certain church, and this leader was not thinking rationally. And uh, it was very, how can I put this, it was causing great division in the church. I think that's where I see right now is these things that are happening are causing division among us, and we can't let that happen. Um, we can as a body of believers. 1 Corinthians 1.10, this is what I share with her as she told me a story. It says, Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So who's the name of, who is that name we're talking about? It's Jesus Christ. That you all speak different things. Oh, speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you. We shouldn't let these things divide us. But that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and the same judgment. We've been given a great uh, task to reach people for the gospel all around us in this community. Um, there are people that don't know. We're talking about September 11th, right? Coming up in a little bit, a few uh, weeks away. That's going to be an amazing event. I believe that these seats will be filled. Um, if he did in the day of Pentecost, why can't he do it again? So, you know, we, we need to have that kind of boldness and, and, and uh, energy and that enthusiasm to believe that we serve a powerful God. He's able to deliver. So um, I think that this divisions, we need to put that away. Um, we need to be one in mind and one in judgment. Ephesians 4 verse 16 kind of backs this up. I think I'm losing my voice, but that's okay. God will supply. Ephesians 4 verse 16. Kind of the same principle here, but it goes a little deeper says this, from whom the whole body fitly joined together. Do you see that we are not really 
fitly joined together, are we? We got these different things. Some teach this, that this is the truth. Oh, this is the truth over here. No, that's the truth over there. And then guess what? We're not doing what God's called us to do. We've lost our mission. I got people that call in prayer line. You know, they say certain things to me. I said, look, you're really, you're losing your mission. You're getting off focus. And you have to be careful because we have a message to give the people. Uh, don't get lost in all that. So Ephesians 4, 16 says, From whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by the, that which every joint supplieth according to the effectual or effective working in the measure of every part, I like this, making, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. You know, that making increase of the body. Don't you want to see more members filling these seats? More people? Um, I want to see more people. I want to see more people in our community in these chairs. Um, I do. Personally, it says that we're building them up in love. We're supposed to lift them up in love. Um, if they're going to some kind of struggle, come alongside of them. You know, I, I, I've sensed that in, in our churches. I'm not trying to bash churches, but we're really afraid to have a, how can I say, it's a safe place to share about some of the things that we're going through. I know a pastor stood up here and he said, I guess I can't sin anymore. He feels like he can't, I mean, not that you want to purposely sin, but the fact is you feel like he can't because he'll, he'll be condemned. We can't have that kind of uh, spirit, you know, about ourselves. We have to be willing to kind of come alongside our brothers and sisters and lift them up, encourage them in their struggles, help them. I think that's really powerful. Turn to Luke 19 and verse 10. And what was Jesus' goal? <laughs> if we're truly in Christ, what was Jesus' goal? What was his mission? Very po powerful. This is our call. Luke 19 and verse 10. For the Son of Man is come to do what? Seek and save that which was lost. Do you believe we have people around us in this community that are seeking, wanting to know what we know? I think they do. I think they do. Pastor's been talking about it. He's been meeting people. Of course, he's kind of out there. People see him more. But, you know, the fact is there are people all around us that need to hear a message. Uh, we just met a couple of young men. We went to Bell Smith Springs a couple days ago, and uh, we got to talk to them. It was amazing. I actually was going to walk away, and Janelle kept talking, which usually I'm the one doing it, but she did. <laughs> anyway, just the fact that these young men were hungry. Um, you know, it was really hungry, and we got to share with them 3ABN and some of the stuff that we do, and it was just really incredible. It was a great time, even though kind of their mouths, they said a lot of cursing and stuff, but, you know, hey, you got to reach the people. So are we willing to uh, seek and to save? I'm going to ask the question, this might sting a little. Could we also be cumberers of the ground hindering this message? Could we ourselves be that? We find ourselves getting wrapped up in the current events. Yes, we should be aware of them, but they should not be driving us to the point of deterring us from our mission and putting a wedge or division among Christ's body of believers. We should not. So why? Why do we want to do this? What's the point of all this, right? Why do we want to be uh, in this, uh, I guess we can call it in the soldier, God's armies, be one of God's uh, soldiers. Why do we want to do this? What's the point? Why do we want to be trees of righteousness, God's people hedging in the harvest? Why? What is the final outcome of what those gates and walls will become? And this is the big hurrah. I love this. This is going to touch you. So in Nehemiah's day, what did Israel do? Uh, what happened when he put the walls and gates up? It protected them from something called temptations, right? Many were temp tempted to do things. They were tempted to go out and, you know, buy and get things on the Sabbath. We can do that as well. We can bring people in and protect them from Satan's attacks. We can hedge them in. Turn to Isaiah 58, and we're going to look at verses 12 through 14. 
Again, we'll talk about this idea of what our mission is. I hope this is making some sense. Um, Because I know God's just, you know, really calling my heart to just kind of instill in you, just put a spark, you know, for myself even. I need this. So Isaiah 58, 12 through 14. And he gives us a promise in verse 14. It says in verse 12, And they that shall be of thee shall build the old waste places. Thou shalt raise up the foundation of many generations, and thou shalt be called the repair of the breach, the uh, restore of the paths to dwell in. Verse 13 kind of touches again with this idea with, um, we talked about Nehemiah and this gate and this wall. If thou turn away thy foot from the Sabbath from doing thy pleasure on my holy day and call the Sabbath a delight, the holy of the Lord, honorable, and shalt honor him, not doing thine own ways nor finding thine own pleasure nor speaking thine own words, but verse 14 is the beauty. Then shalt thou delight thyself in the Lord, and I will cause thee to ride upon the high places of the earth. How many of you want to see that? The high places of the earth. And feed thee with the heritage of Jacob thy father, for the mouth of the Lord hath spoken. So if he speaks it, guess what? It's going to be so. Turn to Psalm 24. Some more good news. When Jesus died, something happened. He resurrected, right? He ascended. How many of you want to ascend to that that holy hill? (laughs) So we're going to look at uh, verses 3 through 10 in Psalm 24. Man, this is so beautiful. Verse 4 is really powerful. It says here in verse 4, He that hath clean hands and a pure heart. Do you want clean hands and a pure heart? Who hath not lifted up his soul into vanity, nor sworn deceitfully. He shall receive the blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. We're talking about trees of righteousness. This is the generation of them that seek him, that seek thy face, O Jacob, Salah. You're all here today, right? That means you're seeking him. That means you're, you're wanting to know him. Verse 7 says, Lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be ye lift up, ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. You want to come into the King of glory in the gates? That could be an amazing day when he comes to get us. He wants to take us through those gates. Man, who is the king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. Do you believe that? The Lord mighty in battle. Man, the battle is raging right now. But as Exodus 14 verse 14 says, you shall hold your peace and the Lord will fight for you. I love that. The Lord will fight for you. Verse 9, lift up your heads, O ye gates, even lift them up, ye everlasting doors, and the king of glory shall come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord of hosts, he is the king of glory. Wow. Doesn't that get you excited? Man, can you imagine how it's going to look like? The day that he comes, he resurrects all those who have been waiting so patiently in the ground. Um, I just told this story. I'll tell it real quick. It's kind of funny. Uh, I told on prayer line one to somebody. And uh, uh, years ago, we were being mentored by a gentleman, um, Daniel in Revelation, for two and a half years. Study this gentleman. So I know I can trust what he said. Well, he used to go to the church in Louisville, and there's a, a man there that um, was originally from Africa. And this guy, it's really incredible. This is how powerful God is. This young man was being groomed by his grandfather, who was the uh, master, I guess, witch doctor in the community. He was being groomed to be the next master witch doctor. So some seven-day Adventist pastors come along and introduce him to the gospel. This is great. So he starts sharing the gospel with other people. Well, he begins talking to his other buddies that are witch doctors, and they start coming to the gospel. So these group of witch doctors got together and said, hey, we got to quiet this guy down. we got to do something. So they, they make a plan to kill him. 
They make a plan to kill him. We've got to shut this guy up. He's, he's winning souls for Jesus. We can't have this. So what they do, he was riding his bike along the road. They came and they ran off the road and they killed him. He was dead. <clears throat> so they put him in a mortuary and uh, the, the pastors in that area, the local Seventh-day Adventist pastors, they're like, God, <laughs> what are we going to do? We can't reach these witch doctors like this young man could. We can't do it. Um, either you're going to have to send somebody new or you're going to have to resurrect this guy because we, we just can't do it. So they prayed for three or four hours. And guess what happened? <laughs> oh, they heard twitching in the, sanctu- in the mortuary. They heard twitching and clamoring. And this young man came out. He came out. And uh, <laughs> as he came out, he looked at the clock. He said, oh my goodness, I got Bible study. I got to go. And they're like, whoa, 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 wait a minute, whoa, wait a minute. You like have no clothes on. You're, you're like totally naked. Just, just slow down a minute. Let's think this thing through. Uh, we just, we, we just don't, don't jump to conclusion. Let's just hold on a minute. So they had to take care of that. But anyways, God resurrected him. Very powerful story. Then he ended up moving to Louisville. And what had happened is um, he was broke down on 64 he, in his car. And a semi came by and clipped him and took his life. <clears throat> but the fact is that God did resurrect this man who was doing a powerful mission for Jesus. That's, that's just an intense story about what God will do um, in his power and what he can do. I mean, to resurrect somebody, you know, that's amazing. <laughs> it's just, <laughs> boy, just God can do some amazing stuff. To turn to Revelations 21, and this is the beauty of the story, and why do we want to be walls and gates to protect God's people? Why do we want to be involved in that? How many of you want to see souls saved for the kingdom? How many of you want to, somebody come up to you in the kingdom and say, man, you know, it might be Mary Kay or Bob or Tracy or somebody. It might be, uh, you know, any one of us, Jason. Man, you know what you did for me? It's because of you that I'm in this kingdom. It's amazing. Thank you. Oh, man. Revelation 21, verses 3 and 4. And this is a promise, brothers and sisters. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. Verse 4. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And guess what he says in verse 7? This is beautiful. It's not on my notes, but he that overcometh, shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be what? Do you want to be a son or daughter of God? That's amazing. To think the creator of the universe says, you are my son, you are my daughter. Man, that's, that's powerful. That's amazing. Man. Verse 10, we're going to look, pick up in verse 10. So John is now carried away. He's going to see this um, temple. He says, he carried me away in a spirit to a great and high mountain and show me the great city, the holy Jerusalem descending out of heaven from God. So this prepared city, as Jesus said in John 14, I'm going to prepare a place for you. Do you believe that? He went to prepare a place. So here it's coming down. And he carried me away in his spirit to a great... Yes, read that. Verse 11. Having the glory of God and her light was like unto a stone most precious, even like a jasper stone, clear as crystal, and had what? A wall, great and high, and had 12 gates... And the gates, uh, 12 angels, at the gates, 12 angels, yeah. And names written thereon, which are the names of the 12 tribes of the children of Israel. Verse 13. On the east, three gates. On the north, three gates. On the south, three gates. And on the west, three gates. So there's gates all around the city. 
going to be curious which gate I'm going to go through. Are you kind of curious what gate you're going to go through? It'll be interesting to see, won't it? Let's see in verse 14. And the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and in them the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. That's going to be an amazing day to see that city. We're very close, I believe. I believe. And we're going to pick it up in verse 22. This is the end. This is awesome. You know, we talked about in the very beginning, people want to live in gated communities because they feel protected. It gives them some type of status. It's a, you know, kind of a community thing. We're better than this person or they have some type of, you know, club or whatever. But we're going to see something different happen in God's kingdom. Verse 22 says, And I saw no temple therein, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it. And the city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon, to shine in it. For the glory of God did lighten it, and the Lamb is the light thereof. Here we go. And the nations of them which are saved shall walk in the light of it, and the kings of the earth do bring their glory and honor into it. Are you a king or a queen of God? Verse 25. And the gates of it shall not be shut at all by day, for there shall be no night there. The gates are open. The gates are open. Why? And they shall bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it. Why are the gates open? No more sin, brothers and sisters. It's gone. No more sin. It's completely eradicated. We're cleansed. We're purified. We can go in and out. Isn't that amazing? In and out. You're not barred. You're allowed to go. And remember we talked about in the very beginning in Genesis? God had to bar because he couldn't let him get to the tree of life. Guess what? We're going to get to go to the tree of life. That's going to be amazing bearing 12 manner fruits every month. It's going to be incredible. So I'd like to close with this out of the uh, Great Controversy, page 650. And I guess if the um, praise team wants to come up at this point. This is Great Controversy, page 650. This is really going to touch. This is really powerful. <clears throat> this touched me because this is what, why we do what we do. It says, The heirs of God have come from garrets, from hovels, from dungeons, from scaffolds, from fountains, I'm sorry, from mountains, from deserts, from the caves of the earth, from the caverns of the sea. On earth they were destitute, afflicted, tormented. Millions went down to the grave loaded with infamy because they steadfastly refused to yield to the deceptive claims of Satan. By human tribunals they were adjudged the vilest of criminals. Do you believe we're going to see that again soon? I think we're going to be considered criminals. I think we're going to label us as terrorists, personally. I think we'll be labeled as terrorists. It happened with Elijah, right? Elijah and Ahab. Hey, Elijah, you're the one that troubles Israel. Hmm. But now God is judge himself. Psalm 50, verse 6. Now the decisions of the earth are reversed. The rebuke of his people shall he take away. They shall call them the holy people, the redeemed of the Lord. He hath appointed to give unto them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. They are no longer feeble, afflicted, scattered, and oppressed. Henceforth they are to be ever with the Lord. They stand before the throne clad in richer robes than the most honored of the earth have ever worn. They are crowned with diadems more glorious than were ever placed upon the brow of earthly monarchs. The days of pain and weeping are forever ended. The king of glory has wiped the tears from all faces. Every cause of grief has been removed. Amid the waving of palm branches, they pour forth a song of praise, clear, sweet, and harmonious. 
Every voice takes up the strain until the anthem swells to the vaults of heaven. Salvation to our God, which sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb. And all the inhabitants of heaven respond in the ascription, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be unto our God forever and ever. Wow. I want to implore you, i make a call here, for those who want to be the trees, who want to be the walls, to bring people, to protect these people, our brothers and sisters, I just ask if you want to be one of those, to stand in the gap, to be a repair of the breach, and restore the path to dwelling, would you come forward this morning? Would you come forward? Just ask you to come forward as we have a word of prayer. Um, we are living in the last few days of this earth's history, brothers and sisters, and we have a great responsibility, but it's really God's responsibility, right? It says in there, um, I think it's in one of the words, it says that for Paul gave uh, water, Paul, yeah, I can't remember all of it, but God gave the increase. So Paul planted, Paul's water, and God gave the increase. So thank you all. This has been a blessing. So let's bow our heads and let's have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, you know your brothers and sisters, your sons and daughters are standing here today, Lord, proclaiming something. They're proclaiming that they want to be one of those that built up the walls and the gates. They want to be one of those, Lord, that can be used as a tool in your hands. They want to be one of those, Lord, that brings some lost soul into the kingdom. They want to be one of those, Lord, that get to hear that voice, that voice, that melodious voice from Jesus that says, well done, thou good and faithful servant. We just ask, Lord, for each one who stood here today, who's come in today, those who are viewing, that, Lord, they will see the significance of the time that we live in and realize that we have a great work to accomplish not of our own strength, Lord. Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You can strengthen each and every one standing here today, Lord. We need an outpouring of your Holy Spirit like never before because the prince of darkness is trying to crush this out. But I know, Lord, just like Eli, the flickering flame, Samuel came along, and boy, that flame just burst. It got so bright. Each one here today, Lord, has their own flame that they carry to their own influential circle, Lord. I just pray you'll bless each one and help us to keep this good work, this good fight of faith, that we will enter into one of those gates, Lord. We'll be able to enter one of those gates. You'll put a golden crown on our head, which we will be able to lay at your feet. We thank you, Lord, for what you're going to do through this week and what you're going to do through us, maybe at ASI or here at September 11th, through this small church and this small community, that, Lord, may this be the catalyst to get a fire going. We thank you, Lord. We ask this now in the precious, holy, and wonderful name of Jesus. Amen.